The Athletics is right here on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM, KWWN Las Vegas. Live inside Twin Peaks for Monday Night Football, it's Cofield and Company. Eyes downfield, lofts near corner for Devontae, hands in the air, grabs it, touchdown Raiders! He beat a pair of Broncos to the near corner of the end zone on a beautiful strike from Derek Carr. Carr, play action again, looking downfield, lofts it near corner, Adams went over at the five, he walks in, and the Raiders walk off with a win! It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. Here we go on a Monday, Cofield and company. Willie Ramirez at Twin Peaks. Cofield here in Southern California. Ari's back in our Finley Toyota studios. Willie, what's going on, buddy? Well, I'm just uh, still trying to figure out what took place yesterday in Denver and wrap it all around into how this season shapes up. But I guess we'll cover that. And other than that, it's a, it's a really nice day here in Las Vegas weather-wise. Yeah, weird football weekend, including today. Uh, the other football, USA Soccer, we'll get to that in a couple minutes. Is uh, It feels like a loss after the push with Wales. Uh, UNLV with a, a rough loss in Hawaii. Some of the teams you root for, well, not your team, the Cowboys, good weekend. The team I root for in the NFL loses. The team, the uh, other person in the uh, Casa de Cofield roots for a horrific loss by the Chargers. So up and down football weekend for all of us. We'll have guests throughout the show, including a couple of uh, folks who uh, chime in on UNLV in Hawaii in just a couple minutes. Twin Peaks with the uh, appetizer special during happy hour on Mondays, two, four, and six dollars on select apps. Big beer is under four bucks, 19 different shots for three ninety nine, And then Willie's got a ton of prizes as well as he'll be around until seven o'clock for what should be a pretty entertaining Monday Night Football game, the line doesn't say it, but I think it's going to be a pretty tight game, and we'll get into that a little later on with the Niners and Zona matched up in Mexico City where there might be a little bit of rain, and we'll be checking throughout this broadcast to see what the field conditions are because I know the field has had some issues in the past, but let's get to it. It's the three on Cofield and Company. Hi, Willie. I don't know how much, if any, of the soccer game – uh, you watch, but did you check in at all? Nope. How come? Busy. Running around town. Busy? I did, I, yeah. I, I, do I, your I job! Do my job. I don't cover soccer. Nobody pays me to <laughs> we, cover soccer. We, and we I'm not sitting soccer. at home to watch soccer. We cover soccer. This is true, but I uh, no, I had some things to do running to get it. ready to get down there. So I was running around, and I'm listening, and then all of a sudden I hear on our national flag the uh you know USA goes down so yeah tough 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 uh be I guess it's a it's a it's a work in progress now to get back in to be able to get to the next round but uh there was a couple of analysts saying that they wouldn't shock them if they still were able to pull it off it's just going to be tough it'll be tougher because now it may come down to goal differential Mm. um ties in the first round of the world cup 59 percent of the team's who tie in the first game of the first round actually advance. So it's 
it's it's more a favorite than it is a uh, a dog. Uh, but the U.S. came into this game as a slight favorite over Wales. Uh, draw is not always the the greatest thing. So U.S. I unfortunately led until in the 80s in, in terms of minutes, and then they yep. had a a takedown in the box, tackle in the box, Zimmerman with the tackle, and up comes one of the best players in the world. This was the goal that tied it. Wales trail, they need something, and this is the man to provide it. Gareth Bale, bang! He writes his own scripts! The leader, the commander, Gee, damn it. So USA loses in the opener in Qatar, in Qatar. We'll get to all the other news with that. Actually, we'll have Adam Hill on today to talk Raiders and also talk some uh, U.S. men's soccer as they draw. And now they have a tough game next number matchup, one, right? As they draw in game number one. Their next game is against England. Yeah, England had a big offensive showing. 6-2 over Iran. So, I mean... I, I don't watch a lot of soccer, but I would just imagine, I mean, a team comes out and puts six in the net. I don't know if that's more about them or more about their opponent. You could answer to that. Maybe Adam could. But, uh, well, you know, when you muster one goal, and I would imagine Wales is better than Iran, so the level of competition. But uh, just that's that. it just appears to me like that's a tough draw, you know, tough second game. It's a tough second game. There'll be a dog, and like I said, it'll come down to dif- uh, goal differential. They've got a U.S. has to make sure they can freaking whack Iran, and also survive England in terms of yellow cards because there was a bunch of yellow cards in this yeah. game. So a bunch of stuff we'll get into with Adam Hill. It was an uneven officiating effort, uh, I thought, and the uh, U.S. also let off the gas pedal in the second, which has always bothered a lot of people. The uh, kind of the draw culture with USA Soccer when they get to the highest levels, but uh, weird times. Weird times around the National Football League. Uh, Raiders win. First of all, I got to say, um, I've been all over the last couple of days. Did you know uh, about any of this travel stuff that that uh, John Von Tobel is actually on the trip as well? So he'll be on the show tomorrow. He'll be joining us today at uh, around 445 no, for our eye on sports gambling. But uh, yeah, we went from Hawaii and that weird game with UNLV pretty much straight here to uh, Dana Point, California, where the run and rebel basketball team was all set up for the SoCal Challenge. They're playing in the SoCal Challenge as they take on Southern Illinois in a late game tonight, Willie. Uh, I don't know if you'll be up because you're an early sleeper. Late game tonight as they'll tip off at 10 o'clock at night. Well, I will probably, like, I'll be up, but it'll be in transition from the couch or the bed to the restroom. That's about (laughs) it. I'll, like, wake up, but no, I will not. Actually, no, do you want to know the truth? Uh, To be honest with you, I'll just be getting home. I'm leaving here and go. I'm, uh, I delayed my workout. I'm actually lifting late tonight, so actually I'll lifting be walking late. in. Yeah, I know. Why you got? Do you, do you have something late at night you need to do athletically? A lot of wise, a lot of wise from you here here early in the first seven minutes. Why, why, why? I'm not sure if you're writing a book or I need to answer to you, but uh, there's a lot of whys going on. Maybe that's being, why you're. Maybe you're a wise guy. Being conversational, just wondering why you're changing. <laughs> you're mentioning uh, your lifting routine. No, why you're just, changing your routine. I'm concerned you know, for you. You know what? It was like I said earlier. The the running around this morning, the errands um, that had to do with like uh, with Jordan and mine's my son and mine's co- uh, corporation, the perfect gym and everything, just had to do a lot of running around before the holiday. You know, it's only three days. Had to see the bookkeeper. Had to do this. Had to ch- check in with one of our vendors. And so it's uh it's been a busy morning. So yeah, I just said, you know what? Screw it. 
uh, I slept in till 6.45 a.m., lost three hours and 45 minutes worth of work, so I'm going to put the Jeez. lift in tonight after I leave here. Freaking lazy. Unbelievable. Sleeping yeah. as late as 6.45. What's wrong with you? A lot of whys. A lot of whys. No more questions for Willie. No more. He doesn't want to talk about himself today. No more questions. Um, well, all it right, looks well, like the next thing on the, the docket, we are talking about myself. Well, I think we're going to go to break. we got to reset. Oh. We'll go to break. We'll come back. We'll talk more Raiders. We'll find out how Willie did with his betting weekend, and hopefully he'll want to talk more about himself. He usually does. He usually does. It's unreal. As we're, we're set here today from Twin Peaks. We're also in Dana Point, California. Got the Raiders to break down. They won yesterday. Some uh, questions answered maybe about the future. Uh, we'll also get into UNLV football's really disappointing loss in Hawaii as well. Get over to Twin Peaks in Henderson for Monday Night Football. Awesome food and drink specials. Plus, Cofield and Company's Willie Ramirez will have plenty of great prizes you can win. It's Monday Night Football at Twin Peaks in Henderson. Third down and five on the 25. Wilson back to pass. Crosby in his face. Grabs Wilson around the shoulders and swings him down at the 34. Crosby with his second sack of the game. Does a strut. And the Raiders' defense gets a stop on third down. Hanging at Twin Peaks for Monday Night Football, it's Cofield and Company. Raiders Radio Network, Horowitz on the call. Willie Ramirez, it's Cofield. Max Crosby with a sack there. Good defensive performance by the Raiders. And uh, offensively, hey, Raiders did what they needed to do. Excellent game for Devontae Adams. And Willie, a real punch in the face for the Broncos, who haven't been having a good season. They wind up getting swept by the Raiders who seem to be or seemed to be in disarray and pretty much uh, looking at a season that was over but Raiders get it done and they have the slightest of chances here to possibly go on a run maybe get close to going to 500 got a lot of work to do but it wouldn't have happened uh, any of it none of it would have happened if they didn't get the win yesterday so solid win it was and um, it's the I think it's somewhat the quote-unquote effort that Derek Carr had been has been talking about, clamoring about, cried about, um, in in you know putting forth, and I thought you saw it on both sides of the ball. Now that being said, you mentioned it in what you just talked about is that Denver in having what's been a difficult year. Okay, it's great, but you've also swept one of the most disappointing teams in the league. So, you know, it's great you you did what you were supposed to do, but there are still plenty of work to do and you still have some tough games on the schedule so let's not get ahead of ourselves let's not you know if you're the Raiders it's back to work today that game's gone it's done it's in the past let's not glorify it and really that's I mean you build upon it but you have to you have to move on to the next game because guess what you're about to go face a first place team that is in a position that nobody thought it would be in Um, and it's going to be playing for its for its playoff life, if you will, because San Francisco is coming on strong. The Seattle Seahawks are no joke this year, and uh, so they got their hands full. And it's 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 a tough week when you have to travel on Thanksgiving because you know I, I'm not sure you still go to work, you still go out there, but it's it's a holiday. Your mind is, you know, it can be distracted a little bit. So um, let's hope that they they've they've enjoyed the win and now they've moved on. This is a good debate we have every year about Thanksgiving. Is it better to be the home team or the road team when you play a weekend game? Um, it well, I would imagine it's it's probably better to be the road team because mm-hmm. you 
you enjoy your Thanksgiving dinner. Everybody's going to work on Thursday. Everybody's going to go to the facility and their facilities. They're going to play, you know, outside of the gate, the six teams that play. But you're going to go, you're going to put in work, then you're going to go home, and you are going to enjoy your family. Well, then there's Friday, the walkthrough, and then you're going to come back home, and then guess what? It's Black Friday. There's shopping being done. The wife is doing this. The girlfriend's doing that. Whatever it may be, the fiance, the kids, they're home from school. The road team, if they're smart, is getting on the road, and it's business as usual. You're away from all the, the madness. You're away from driving through holiday traffic and the four-day week where everybody's trying to shop. I think it's much better to be the road team, so the Raiders have that going for them. All right, so before we get into the Seattle game a lot, because uh, okay. I think the Seattle Raiders game is sort of a microcosm of the National Football League. Uh, one, Seattle is, what, plus 16 on the season in point differential. Okay. With a six and four record, the Raiders are three and seven. They're minus seventeen with the point differential. Not much of a difference mm-hmm. when you look across the league. I mean, the Vikings came in yesterday with a a small point differential. They got blown off the field by the Cowboys entering the game with an eight and one mark. Uh, same thing goes for the Broncos. I mean, it's it's funny. At this point in the season, we have so many narratives about this coach needs to be fired and that coach needs to be fired, and we've got these tiny point differentials, which basically means every week, outside of playing like the Chiefs or the Bills, and I know you don't even want to include the Eagles in the upper class of the NFL, outside of a couple of teams, there is no game that you can't win. And for me, that's why yesterday's game was impressive. Everything was falling apart for the Raiders to come together, focus, and I know the Broncos have their issues, but you do realize the Broncos now, not to keep going to point differential, but the Broncos now have the same record as the Raiders. Uh, they're minus 24 on the year. The problem with the Broncos is their offense has been pathetic. Horrible. The number that was all over social media last night, you realize the season the Broncos are having with a pretty solid defense. If the Broncos had simply scored 18 points in every single game this season, they'd be way above 500. That is insane. Yep. Yeah, they're, I mean, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it's a, it's a good win. It's a good win but based on what the Raiders have done. But let's just also remember that they had to come back to get into overtime and win the game. So it's not as if, like, they, you know, yeah, we're, you look at the makeup of the entire game. We don't, you know, we don't do that how they lost. Why, does that, why do we gloss over things when, you know, when they win, when teams win, not when they lose? Well, if, if they would have lost, we'd be like, yeah, but they were almost there. Well, there's no moral victories. doesn't matter that they close lost. Well, they barely won. So that's a, it's something to take in consideration. And, yes, it's, a, it's probably because it was against a strong Denver defense. Denver has we, – we both have been saying that all season long. That defense is outstanding. The offense has struggled. And just as I put things on the Raiders coach and its staff, his staff, same thing in Denver. That's what we're reading. That's what we're seeing. Some of the play calling that we've seen when Denver's playing on primetime TV, it's been horrendous. So, yeah, they, they beat a pretty good team with a really good defense. And if they had a little bit better possibly coaching, they'd have a, it'd be a better than 500 team. Nevertheless, the Raiders still have their hands full the rest of the season. Uh, Broncos did yesterday what I said they should have done before the season. That is, when you have a rookie head coach, first-time head coach in Nathaniel Hackett, he doesn't get to run the offense and be the head coach. So they finally switched. Yep. Yep. to another guy. Now, the results didn't work out, but I'm curious to see what the Broncos do 
moving forward here if they can clean things up. But, yeah, yesterday offensively, same problem for the Broncos. They couldn't finish off drives, um, also couldn't run the ball. And Melgo, another one of those games, Melvin Gordon, he gone. Uh, he, the Broncos finally said enough's enough. Yeah, we saw him. I mean, to be honest with you, that's, he was the first player we saw cry inside Allegiant Stadium at a press conference this year, and that was after the Raiders game, after that brutal fumble. I mean, he was visibly upset. Someone asked him a question, drove him right off the dais. So, um, and that's that's we're at the point in the season where that's it. Business is business. You wash your hands with it and got to go. What do you think happens with the Broncos the rest of the way? You know, I think that I think the storyline. What I think they're going to do is is I, I don't I don't know because I'm not there. I'm you know you now think of teams as a reporter when you cover a team firsthand, right? So I don't know um, how they approach the remainder of the season. I know that it would make sense for them at this point to probably do what one member of our company has said the Raiders should be doing, and I somewhat have believe that that's probably the best case because I don't think that they're making a run and making the playoffs at this point, but you start building for the for the future, you start looking toward next season, you start looking at the draft. You know, because the, the Broncos, that offense isn't going to start clicking mysteriously, just out of nowhere. Like the Raiders, they could realistically they could click. They could all of a sudden be really good. Considering they could be the, really good. They could be really good offensively. I mean, you, you realize yes. the Broncos and the Raiders have the same problem. They have a unit that's not good. And, yes, but and it needs to improve vastly. Like, how do the Raiders improve their defense? Yesterday was pretty solid, but how do you grade it against an offense that's not good? And on the flip side, the Broncos' offense has been brutal. Is that going to, you know, all of a sudden explode? But it's a weird, you know, it's a weird no. conundrum for both teams, Willie. It's a weird conundrum for both teams because the way to tank, and I know everyone's calling for that in both markets. Not everyone. Lots of people are. The way to tank is, hey, our quarterback's got an injury. Our quarterback's not going to play. You're 10 games into the season. Both of your quarterbacks make north of $30 million. Russell Wilson makes north of $40 million. You're going to sit him down for the last seven games of the season, both of them? No. Which conundrum would you rather have? Which conundrum's in a better, in, a be, in your opinion? Because I'm going to tell you which team, which conundrum is better to have and, and, and which team is in better shape. I'd rather have a struggling offense and a defense that's rock solid. Yeah, see, well, because I think I can fix that. I disagree. I think at some point, because I, I think at some point I can fix the offense, especially if Russell Wilson's at the helm. No, I would no. I'd rather have the other way around because with the offense that the Raiders have, the the the, the personnel that they have in particular, yeah. with the way Josh Jacobs is running, the and Devontae Adams, who he is, and if Waller gets, uh, he's got three more games. He's got to sit out, right? Two, three, two, three, two mandatory. Three. Okay. He's been on the IR for two weeks, right? Or no, this is the second week. Okay. So, regardless, because if you – if you look at the Chiefs. Chiefs defense is, eh, but they, they, they don't care because they can outscore teams. They just push the button. So, in the same respect, you just said it. Broncos need to score 18 points. Think about that. That's two touchdowns and a field goal. So, that's all they need to do, and they can't. So – I'd you'd rather have the good defense and a struggling offense. Well, we're 10 weeks into the season, and that ain't happening. 11 weeks into the season, that ain't happening. The Broncos, they've proved over and over. It's It was fixable maybe four or five weeks ago. Now he's changing the play calling uh, duties. It, it's just not going to all of a sudden click. I would much rather be in the Raiders situation than the Broncos situation. Devontae considering starting, considering yeah. the personnel. Considering the personnel. Yeah. Devontae Adams starting to come around now. 
the connection's starting to work. Uh, well, he's been around. I think it's the other, you know, Derek Carr well, and him. Are more, more accurately, the connection is coming around. Yes, the connection is coming around, yeah. So is that going to lead to more points eventually? Because you talk about the Raiders with this upside on offense. It's got to lead to more points. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, great year for was, Daniel Carson, but come on, let's get some touchdowns. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, it's just that's what I'm saying. It's just not translated to that. I mean, you look at their last four games, they they haven't scored more than 22 points, and that was yesterday because of a walk-off touchdown. 0-20-20-22. Prior to that, 38. They put 29 up on Kansas City before the bye week. You would think a bye week would, you know, help an offensive guru say, okay, here's how we build on this. Because you look at what they did prior to, 32 against Denver, 29 against Kansas City, 38 against Houston. So, Again, they're going to play a very tough Seattle team in Seattle. Loud place. Tough D. You know, they come home to play the Chargers. I mean, they, they have this road home, road home, road home, home. That's also not necessarily easy. Uh, can they put the points up? Sure. I mean, you got you to go, go to what's working. And Josh McDaniel said afterwards, you know, the play action is what it's set up. The first two plays of the overtime is what helped that walk-off win. He, he said that specifically. Okay, listen to yourself, Josh, and follow that throughout the entire 60 minutes because when we've seen this offense explode, it's been because the rushing game is on point. Josh, uh, Josh Jacobs is the focal point, and he's getting it done to create that space when teams' defenses collapse to pick up the run. Adams, the beneficiary, now with 44 catches his last three games. 412 yards on the 44 catches. Five touchdowns. So he's now turning in a monster season. And check that, I had that wrong. 26 catches for 413 yards. The targets are 44. The targets are 44. So teams even know and they have to cover them. It's now working. So that shows there's been some good tweaks on offense. And, again, we're not in here today trying to say the Raiders are now going to rush to, uh, you know, a 10-7 and season. It's just a little bit of progress. You hold off whatever you know tank could happen until you're officially out of the playoffs. Um, but yesterday was the first step, and I know it's a crappy Broncos team, but that was the first step, and it's a gut punch to an organization in your division that hates you, and now the Raiders yeah. have won six in a row against Denver. Yeah, and to your point about Devontae, it's, don't you find it kind of funny that after the first game, right, remember the first game in L.A.? 24-19 loss. Devontae Adams, 17 targets, 10 receptions. You can't do that. You can't do that. It's too many. Then what did they do? They fell off and threw to him seven times, two receptions, and a come-from-behind win for Arizona. Then 10 and 13. The, the, the fans are just as crazy in, in, in terms of like the, the hilarious, hilarity of the comments in terms of how to use Devontae Adams because it's either too little or too much. It's been everywhere. It's been up and down the scale. But I believe, as you said, the last three is exactly what we should be seeing in terms of targets because this the numbers have been everywhere for his targets in range between five targets and as high as 17 this season. But I think you're right in the range right now, Steve. You're right. Uh, 34 targets in the last three weeks, 17, 14, and 13. And no, they haven't, they've lost two of those games, but he's having a productive run. He's on a productive run right now with at least 126 yards receiving the last three games. Coming up next, I want to get into the division, which is essentially over. And, my God, the Chargers charged it up again as the Chiefs wind up winning in the final couple of seconds. And not really. Uh, 105 left, so the final 65 seconds. Um, they go right down the field. 
they drove in one minute and five seconds. They go right down the field and get another win and move out to eight and two. Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All Access on Twitter. It's early in his career, and he's getting banged up. This is not late in his career, you know, getting banged up this game, and then he doesn't get banged up for another 14 games next year. This is like a consistent situation, and they are running him a little bit too much for my liking if he's the future at the quarterback position for you. You just can't do it. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Boy, that's an interesting discussion. Keyshawn on the way back talking about running Justin Fields too much. Willie, what's more important, developing Justin Fields or winning some games now? Now, the Bears didn't win yesterday, but what's more important, developing Justin Fields or winning some games? From this point, or are you talking about this season? This season. This season, it's about winning. I mean, what are we drafting for? He's your guy. You've named him your guy. What are we still, we're still developing? He's an NFL quarterback. You drafted him. You made him your starter. He's your starter. He's coming into the next season. You got to go to. I mean, you got to try to win. So, if the best skill to build around with Justin Fields right now is him using his feet and getting him out of the pocket and sometimes running, is that the way to so, go, or do you, or do you just, hey, you know what? Maybe we'll lose, but we're just going to freaking torture the kid and make him throw from the pocket, and he's going to get better, or else. Well, I think the smart thing to do, which I think has been discussed plenty of times, and we've probably mentioned it at some point during the first 11 weeks of this season, is that where's the talent built around him? Have they brought anybody in to help? Does he have actual talent? Does he have a running back that could come out of the backfield? Considering what he does, and you have a dual-threat quarterback who's going to scramble, can move, but do you have a guy who's equal to him but is a running back that can come out of the backfield, catch and run, a Kenyon Drake-style kind of guy? I use him as the example because he was here. Um, do you have a, a you know a quality top quality tight end? You know I don't think so. I don't think that the Bears have have built around him to be able to use him properly. So, but you still have to go for the win, and you have to you know you have to structure your play calling. You have to structure your scheme around the capabilities of Justin Fields. Excuse me, but um, so I I don't think that they've done him any favors. But at the same time. You labeled him your starting quarterback on an NFL team. So, yeah, you have to continue to do what you do. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's unfortunate for him because I think that he can succeed. I just don't think that he's in the best situation um, because I don't think that they built around him properly. Yeah, the other question is if you force him to be a pocket passer this year, is that actually going to help him? Will he ever develop into a pocket passer? Which is kind of what Keyshawn is suggesting, that don't run him so much. Just right. make him a pocket passer. Like if that, if if he's never going to be a pocket passer, then don't you just have to use his strongest skills, not only for his benefit, but for the team to win. Now the Chiefs and the Chargers don't have a problem at quarterback, and yesterday was a, a hell of a showcase again between the Chiefs and the Chargers. But again, Willie, the result was the same, and it came down to Charger mistakes throughout the game. Keenan Allen with a fumble in the fourth quarter was a freaking killer. But there's always that question at the end of the game, and this is, you know, this goes for the top two or three guys in any era. What do you do at the end of the game when you have a chance to take a lead, but you also have to worry about managing the clock and making sure that you don't give the ball back to that star quarterback with too much time left on the clock? And the Chargers freaking scored a touchdown to go up 27-23, and then Mahomes and Kelsey and company go right down the field to score the go-ahead touchdown with uh, 31 seconds left. 
Yeah, third straight year the Chargers held a late lead against the Chiefs at home and lose. They haven't won a home game against the Chiefs since, what, 2013? Um, you know, and I, and I – here's another situation with a team in which you look at it and you say, well, they got back uh, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. They missed the previous two games. They were in there with the best team in the AFC, arguably, the top, the first-place team in the AFC West. They, they were right there, and then you let – it's irrelevant. You let a lead go, and it, it, that's, that's a concern. That's a problem, especially – when this was supposed, this is your, this was the AFC West favorite, and it's just, I mean, really, it's the same thing as we saw with the Raiders Monday Night Football several weeks ago. You had that team on the ropes, and for the Raiders, they had the Chiefs on the ropes in Kansas City. So this is, this is, it's not good. It's not a good situation when you know when a division rival owns you. Not in a couple of games, but like I Every said, game. the chart. Yeah, since 2013, Chargers haven't yeah. won at home against but KC. They, but they own everybody because Mahomes is now 24-3 and against the AFC West. They've won 14 straight in the division on the road. That's insane. Yeah, and now the Chargers, um, they're 5-5, five and five, two of their remaining seven games against teams with a winning record. But, I, you know, I don't know if this is a team that can make a run because they turn around and uh, in Mike Williams, he went out again. So now there's, you know, went out again. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, you know, this, this is a team that's been plagued with injuries. I don't know necessarily what the team, the, that, that if statement, you know, that, that there's always out there. Well, if this, these players, that player was healthy, um, I think that it goes beyond that, but it, it's still, it's, it's been a team that's been plagued with injury and now has to deal with it again um, because you, um, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Justin he, Herbert, he's got to do, that's what he depends on. He's depending on his targets, you know? So um, it, it, it's, it, it's, such a, it's such a quagmire, too, to what you're doing toward the end of a game when you're facing a guy like Patrick Mahomes. Before it would be who? Tom Brady. You know, don't leave too much on the clock. But, I mean, what's too much time with this guy? That's the big question. You've got to run it down to, like, 30 seconds. And, and they if, have to have no that, timeouts. And they have to have no timeouts. I just, it's I'll insane. Just you, I, I, I hated the Chargers' defensive approach. The uh, Chiefs get the ball back. They're able to go down the field in 105, and, and the Chargers did not bring extra pressure. They just tried to play uh, seven guys back, rush four, rush three. They couldn't get to them. The one time they got them out of the pocket, they didn't cover the middle of the field. They tried to run a stunt. Two guys uh, ran into each other on another play, so uh, Mahomes had a big scramble. He was able pretty much to move around in and around the pocket, find someone down the field. They got the benefit of a, a pass interference as well. So Chiefs win again. They're 8-2. and two. They're rolling to the freaking division title. And this division that was supposed to be this unreal division of balance, uh, you've got the three teams behind the Chiefs with a combined 11-19 and 19 record. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Willie G. Ramirez or tweet the show at Cofield & Co. Shager with time, unloads it, has Zebra with his caught! Touchdown, Rainbow Warriors! A biggie, 55 yards to the Holly. Hanging at Twin Peaks for Monday Night Football, it's Cofield and Company. It was one of the back-breaking plays in the UNLV loss at Hawaii. That was the uh, Spectrum TV call. John Venary's with us. He's the uh, radio play-by-play voice of Hawaii, former player with the Rainbow Warriors. Is up with Cofield and Willie. John, how you doing, buddy? Hey, how's it going? How are you? 
Uh, well, not that great. Um, a lot of people here are very angry about UNLV losing against Hawaii. Uh, talk about the reaction in Hawaii. I know it's been a rough season, but, you know, the Pineapple Trophy was up for grabs, Ninth Island Showdown, and Hawaii got it done. You know, the, you talk about the Ninth Island. It's like uh, the, the, the joke here this week is that Hawaii is uh, Hawaii's the best team in Nevada. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and oh, having beaten having beaten Nevada and and UNLV, uh, you know, that, that's that's kind of the joke that's going around on on Twitter and stuff right now. But you know, the the, the thought is that um, Hawaii pulled off a win and and they did some things that that were right and uh, they were they've been able to improve week in and week out. Um, along the way, they've had some hiccups, but I, I think Saturday night was um, a show of being able to improve and, and cause some fits to UNLV. After the game, Marcus Arroyo said that he thought Hawaii just played harder, out-physicaled them. Is that what you saw? You know, I think uh, I think on some plays, yes. Again, there were hiccups uh, for Hawaii in this one, but yeah, for the most part, I think Hawaii came away with a couple of couple of big plays. It, it looked kind of ugly down the stretch with with the scoop and score by by UNLV, and um, you know, the, right there, the Rebels looked like they might have had momentum, and I think the the, the thought in the crowd was that it was, oh, no, here we go again. But John, they, were able to do enough, they were able to do enough right to, to, to make it happen. So, John, uh, speaking of John Veneri, Hawaii play-by-play man, um, they finished the home portion of their schedule, putting 34 up on Utah State, 31 on UNLV. They've shown yep. flashes of offensive brilliance, if you will. They put 31 on Nevada. Um you know, they had some earlier games. Um, does, does this team come away feeling a sense of progression, a sense of improvement offensively with what it was trying to do? You know, I think that that's exactly what they're feeling. I think that, um, you know, it's not being told to us how much is actually inputted and how much uh, Coach Timmy Chang has actually tried to evolve from what Ian Shoemaker, the offensive coordinator, uh, in, installed at the beginning of the season, or, or throughout fall camp, to what we're what we're seeing now, there have been subtle changes, and I know that uh, Timmy Chang, as you guys well know, uh, was a quarterback in the run and shoot. What they've been saying from game three or four is that they've been installing run and shoot concepts. So, being able to get better with things being installed mid-season. Uh, you know, it's all relative. So, you know, if you can win a game or two while doing that, great. Everybody's going to say, well, we improved. But there hasn't been enough of it for anybody to say it, it's been uh, to the point where we're going to win and win big. It's just, it's so many, there's so many close games that Hawaii has lost, especially, in, you know, well, obviously only in conference. But to be able to pull out a win shows improvement. The unfortunate thing is that was the last game at home, and now you're going on the road to a pretty decent San Jose State team against the quarterback that led your team for the last few years. Uh, you know, And so I think a lot of people are hoping for more improvement and hoping for another win. It would have to come on the road. Well, Shager's playing good football, at least based on the game against UNLV. Uh, factoring in the weather, was that one of the better games in terms of the way he threw the ball? Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, you, you could go back to last week's game against Utah State and say uh, he had a pretty decent game there, too. He did throw three interceptions, but he did have, you know, the, the offense had its best output against Utah State. Despite the three interceptions, Hawaii was still able to, to play pretty close and then even take it down towards the end. But, yes, to come away with a win in one of your best performances 
three touchdowns. I mean, it took it took a handful of games to even get that all together to do it in one game. I, you know, Shager has definitely shown his improvement. I talked this morning about it uh, with our sports animals, and you know, it's like he's been able to get in with Coach Timmy Chang. He's been consistent about getting in there, learning what he needs to do, how to read defenses, uh, what. You know, if he's on the same page, I think personally he played with the most confidence this last week. Um, whatever it was, from the start to finish, uh, and there were a few hiccups from start to finish. He only he was only sacked once, so he had a lot of confidence. He showed patience. He ran the ball a few times, and, and then he, you know he threw a few touchdowns. So, I to me, he looked the most improved that I've seen him thus far, and it and it comes in game you know game twelve. Uh, I mentioned the weather. We should mention it again. It was pretty insane on about five different occasions it rained, but the the rain uh, right before the uh, field goal to make it 24-16 was completely insane. I was down on the field, and I was like, i, I got to get the hell out of here. I'm going to electrocute myself with my equipment. Um, and oh, I noticed yeah. that Timmy yeah, Chang, yeah. Timmy Chang actually called a timeout for the storm to calm down. I felt like that was like Hawaii knowledge, knowing that it might only last like three minutes. You know, it, it, it does come down like that in Manoa every once in a while, and, and it, it, it was coming down hard. In fact, it was hard to see, and I'm sorry that you got stuck in it. Our sideline guy was stuck in it, too. In fact, he found cover under one, under one of the camera scaffoldings and was able to kind of see the game from there for a little while. But it was hard to even see the field from the booth, and the booth's not that far away. Um, I will apologize as well to the uh, you know to you guys about the stadium. It is it is a glorified high school stadium. The state's trying its best, but the rain comes down like that in Manoa every once in a while. And you know, I was expecting to see a few more things uh, in slipping, and maybe we did see a couple of balls go through the hands of receivers. I, I think that was uh, was a, a direct effect from the rain. Although I will say that it hadn't rained early on, and I saw uh, Brumfield slip a couple times early before the rain even came. So I wondered if there was any moisture for him, because when he was taking his dropbacks, he had slipped a couple times, and we had mentioned it. And then the rain came, and he didn't slip at all. So I don't know what the, what the deal was with him or, or the field, but you know, I don't know that it played too much of a factor, except for there were a couple of balls went through the hands of receivers, but that happened on both sides. You played the game. You played on the other side of the ball. John Mary is with us, the voice of Hawaii football on radio. What did you think of UNLV's offense? It's kind of been consistent the last few weeks that they've had to settle for a lot of field goals, which means, hey, it's one good thing to get down to about the 25 or 30, but they stalled out a lot in this game and in previous games around that range. Did you see anything that surprised you in terms of uh, lack of aggression or lack of execution once they got down to the 30 or 25? You know, my, my focus was simply on, on Hawaii's defense uh, when it came down to that point because Hawaii has gotten teams into situations like that where they were able to stop them and, 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 and the offense had to settle for a field goal. So in my mind, it didn't look any different than what I've been seeing uh, in previous weeks from Hawaii's defense. So the fact that it was UNLV's offense going against the Rainbow Warrior defense really didn't show me any difference than what I've seen in the last few weeks. Um, Hawaii's defense, for whatever reason, has done very well uh, when it's gotten near the red zone. And I thought they just they did a pretty remarkable job. You might have saw something completely different than what I did, whether it be uh, a change in plays or or the, the amount of aggressive plays that they were running. You know, I was more uh, concerned with how Hawaii's defense 
was either loading the box or outmatched uh, in the box or, or running safeties to the right spot because those are the types of problems that Hawaii's defense had early in the season, and they had gotten better at doing some of those things and stopping on, on you know, third, third and longs, and then definitely in the red zone they were able to, uh, to get better. And I, I honestly thought it was a combination of maybe, uh, well, to be honest, I thought it was more Hawaii's defense playing pretty aggressively uh, and, and attacking the ball more than I've seen in, in previous weeks. And so I, I wasn't paying that much attention to what uh, the deficiencies were from the Rebels. Once again, speaking with John Maneri, Hawaii play-by-play guy, former Rainbow Warriors player. So, John, um, this is a bigger win for Hawaii or a bigger loss for UNLV? Ooh, I mean, you know, we know what was at stake for UNLV. Had to win out to become bowl eligible. Um, you know, a, in a season like this, every win is big, you know. And, and to be able to get an opportunity uh, to play UNLV, a place where a lot of Hawaii players like to go against some former Hawaii players. In fact, your center, his uncle is my teammate, Ed Ripley, uh, and a lot of people know Joe Onosai, um, but Faltanu is, is a, you know, is a good player. That, you know, you've got a quarterback there, Friel, who, uh, who, who did a pretty good number on Hawaii last year at Allegiant Stadium. So any win is big, but when it goes against UNLV, it, it's it, it's a little bit bigger. Winning the Ninth Island Showdown Trophy back uh, and and keeping it here in Honolulu uh, was big. But really, when it comes down to it, we know that UNLV needed to win. I mean, it's it's probably not something as prominent when you're playing the game and you're a player on the field. But when you're looking at it as a media member, we knew how how big it was for UNLV, and 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 to win would give them an opportunity in their final game to be able to become bowl eligible. But every win for Hawaii is a big win, you know, especially in a season where he struggled as much as Hawaii has. Last one, John. You mentioned uh, the stadium, and I thought the stadium was fine. I, I kind of knew what to expect coming in. You know, they, they've yeah. got to beef it up in terms of the scoreboard access and stuff like that. But what does Timmy Chang do to recruit knowing that a, low, a new Aloha Stadium might not be around for a while, might not ever come, or maybe delayed, who knows, six, eight years? I mean, you could tell us the story on that one. But from a recruiting standpoint, what does he do to overcome the challenge of the small stadium? Well, you know, uh, the, the new governor, Josh Green, uh, he's not yet in office, but he's already made mention that he's got he knows he's got to get that done. I think a lot of people don't have faith. Uh, they, they see an unfinished rail and, and, you know, a rail system here in Hawaii that will likely be incomplete as, as far as its route goes. So there's not a lot of faith that Hawaii uh, will, you know, the state will get this stadium done in the next few years. There are plans, uh, a $30 million project that will beef up the, the situation with the stands, but then you still have the problem with the porta potties. Uh, and while that doesn't really affect us in the press box, you know it, it will affect the, the fan experience. And so, if Timmy and the the marketing department for the University of Hawaii can at least make the fan experience worthwhile, because he, you know you get a rain like that every once in a while in Manoa, the fans, especially the student section, they're going to head back to the dorms. They don't need to stay in that. It's, it's very easy for them to leave. And much like the Aloha Stadium situation, fans will, will run to cover and then they'll decide whether or not it's worth staying depending on the score of the ball game. So, right. you know, the, the stadium situation is definitely going to hurt recruiting. But I think there is an argument that if you can make it an exciting fan experience and you can make it, uh, you know, a, a game a game exciting with whatever, with whatever offense they decide they're going to run 
throughout, you know, or installed throughout the offseason. I think you've got some some of the same old recruitable points uh, for young guys that you would normally have. You sell Hawaii. You uh, you know you sell being here in the Aloha State. You sell a, a, an intimate fan experience at a field that, while it looks good on TV, um, is still pretty intimate. They're going to make some changes. It'll it should be fun. Um, but you know it, it's the same old recruiting points. And, and, and in this case, you use what you don't have, right? You don't have a whole lot of wins, so you, you tell a kid you could be the next, you know, the, the guy that helps us. You could be the missing the missing key to help us win games. Uh, will that be easy? No, it was, it's not going to be easy, but it never has. It's always been difficult to recruit here in Hawaii. Uh, and, and I think the coaching staff that's in place right now, uh, there are a bunch of former players. There are players that have uh, played here in Hawaii and, and, you know, and have coached elsewhere. They, you know, they've got their, they've got their talk. 